Hello, Miss Diane. Hi. Uh, so we have not come up with a title for this, have we? I liked the the smell test. We can play around. <laughs> okay. With it. But like, okay. does it pass the smell test? <laughs> okay, I like it. I like it. Uh, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm Diane. <laughs> Fair enough. So much. Yeah. <laughs> Short. And, I, sweet, and uh, I am Jess, and uh, Diane and I have been friends for now, um, like seven ish, six, seven years, probably, huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we are bi-coastal, so I'm over in Maryland, the United States. And, and I'm uh, in Portland, Oregon at the moment, which means that we come to you with two entirely different vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but we, the important thing is we met in the horrible, horrible place of Florida. <laughs> the heart of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, every uh, week or whenever we do this, we will be coming through with a uh, movie that we're going to discuss whether it uh, holds up, right? Diane's idea. Anything you want to add to that? Nope. Just whether or not it holds up in uh, the, I guess we're in the 21st century, right? So right. is it holding up in our point in time right now, which is the 2020s. I'm just planning, you know, for perpetuity. Yeah. Um, just in case someone looks <laughs> in 2040, they might feel different. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, think... our points may be offensive at that point. <laughs> um, but so we're in the year 2023 right now so we're looking at if films that were beloved from past decades if they hold up today in the 2020s yeah there we go and the first movie we picked so just a little background for our esteemed listener that we might have um that <laughs> when we start right? the two people uh, we send it to like, <laughs> they, they might make it to the five minute point. So there we go. Um, so we so we talked about the idea of doing um, either high fidelity as a starting point or doing fast times at Ridgemont High. I got confused and watched them both. I would say we should have a whole long conversation about John Cusack characters being the starting of the celebration of incels at some point in time. So we're going to skip that for now. I think that's but a great idea. We'll talk about um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So uh, in 1979, y'all, this movie came out in 1982, but in 1979, writer and the writer of the book Fast Times at Ridgemont High and screenwriter who will later go on to write such amazing things as We Bought a Zoo. I have never seen. We're going to find out that I have never what? seen a lot of movies he wrote. We Bought a Zoo, Vanilla Sky. So he does. I'm going to make an assumption about the drug use. Almost Famous, Jerry Maguire, wrote for Tracy Ullman show, which is amazing to me. Say Anything, another incel movie, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, Cameron Crowe. So in 1979, he was 22-year-old. He graduated in 1972 as a 15-year-old. So he never really had high school, and he's straight, never been kissed it, convinced a principal to write a home to let him in to a high school for a whole year with a very limited schedule. Only his homeroom teacher and five other teachers knew about it. Eventually, he would tell some of the characters that we meet at Fast Times in Ridgemont High 
he decides that the current depiction of teen life is uh, pejorative, is um, made at an arm's length, and is uninspired of real teenagerhood. So he did, in fact, go to Ridgemont High as a 22-year-old to write a book about this. Did you know that ahead of this? No, but can we just pause? Because I have two questions that I think need to be addressed. So how old was he at this point? Because you you say that he's like studying high school students, like he's embedded. So never been kissed, right? She's like 28 doing that. So it's like kind of weird. But like, was he like 16 and like pretending to just watch other teenagers as if he himself were, was not a teenager? Like how old was he at this point? So he's 22. But he's like lanky and kind of awkward and really. Okay. I think feel like, like you mentioned that 22. Okay. So he was. He but was, he had been out of high school since 15. For se- yeah, for seven so years. So he never that. really went. So then he like was probably allegedly for the legal team. Your lawyer. I think that covered <laughs> it. Um, he allegedly probably wanted to live that because he felt like maybe he was missing it so he went back okay so that was the first question now he said that the depiction of teenagers was pejorative at the time um that's my word that i use for the okay so the which means like it, it was like a shitty depiction of teenagers yeah that can you think of any movies out. that like how do how are they like i'm thinking of the brady bunch maybe like were they for like goody two-shoes or something like just thinking of the context of well there was and I you know I'm gonna uh fumble around while I look at the exact thing that he said about it but there were a couple um a couple things that came out talking about teenagers during that time that talked about teenagers like um when they when teenagers got publicity the things he quoted was Brenda Spencer who she had shot uh six people one day because she was bored so it's like teenagers just do stupid things because they're she the i don't like mondays chick i don't know i don't know i had to look her up to see i had to look this up to see who even she was uh then during that time period there was a rash of this angel dust cases which is giving me like serious buffy the vampire slut (laughs) vibes because i don't know if you remember from the series buffy the vampire slayer what they talk about is every time there's a vampire, the principal's like angel dust. Do you remember that? No, I didn't watch that show. <laughs> oh goodness, you missed out. Missed out on huge things. And then, and then the other thing that got reported on was why Johnny can't read. So remember, he or whether I said it clearly enough, he's a reporter at this time. So he's trying to say when we have these depictions of high school students, it's only like them in crisis and. And just about like or being dumb fucks, it sounds like. Why, why can't Johnny well, read or something? Yeah. So it's it's all this kind of stupid high school. So they're violent, bad, dumb. right? And so he wanted to show that this group had heart and had intelligence. Okay. Which is a funny lead-in to the fucking movie you just made me watch because there's some pieces to it. And you're frozen on my screen. Oh, there you are. You're moving again. I got booted. 
my bad. <laughs> Turns out my foolproof plan of my <laughs> foolproof boomer plan of just moving my computer to another space yep, is not go. is not as strong um as I thought. So okay, so got it. So yeah. they're they're dumb, violent. So he wants to show the nuance of what teen life is like. Okay. Correct. So he spends the first month at this high school kind of just watching from the sidelines. He's not getting a lot of experience from it. And then he starts to join some groups and experience teen life. Of note, his publisher convinced him there was a morality clause that he had to follow. So he only, quote unquote, lightly dated. I just want to be clear that that weird 26-year-old in the opening scene is not based oh. out of him. <laughs> <laughs> okay well now i'm like on now i'm just learning too much <laughs> <laughs> but the characters though he changed the name the main five characters of the movie stacy and linda the two girls so uh jennifer jason lee's character phoebe kate's character mike which is Ro robert romanus's character judge reinhold's character brad and rat brian backer were all based on real characters so there was a brother and sister set with a younger dumb sister and the brother who both kind of like fumbled around with their sexuality. Uh, weird way to talk about them in a sentence like that. <laughs> Surely there's some kind of grammar. There really was a ticket offer. <laughs> right. uh, so, and, and that really brings me to like a lot of thoughts on the character, particularly of Mike, which I felt like in the whole process, that character Mike either needed to be fully fleshed out or needed to be like just seen as a piece of shit, but like the middle ground between them kind of made me uncomfortable. And Mike and I, is the older brother? Mike is the um, the Philly scalper. The ticket scalper, okay. Yeah. All right, the, like basically one of the only, like I think he's Italian, but he was certainly he really like one of the more, the more dark, the more non-white looking. Cause it's okay. like, it's like, the movie's like 95% the assume oh, yeah, body, aside from that one footballer and his, and his one brother, brother yeah. is like a totally white school, but he's like a dark Italian. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yes. So those are all represented real people. Okay. Um, and over the course of his high school experience, the, the Linda character, the Stacy character and the Mike character, he disclosed to all three of them at some point in time that he was in fact a journalist playing Never Been Kissed. So this all happened. I want to say that part of the conversation about this is this movie ends up coming out in 1982 with a female director, um, but it comes out in 1982 and that I was born in 1981. So this is the generation, this is my, my parents graduated in 78 this was 79, right? So that's where it is in my life, which I think is important to the context of the discussion. Yeah. So, so essentially it's like what your parents, like, so if you're listening and you're like elder millennial-ish, mm -hmm. yeah. and your parents had you young, which is very mm -hmm. likely, right? Mm -hmm. Chances are pretty high. This is what your parents' high school experience was like, or- oh, so that's what I kind of wonder, right? Is because, so I watched this movie and I was like, Diane told me she thought that this movie would pass the smell test. What the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> but 
then I started thinking two things. And this is kind of a maybe giveaway till the end, but we didn't really structure this conversation. Do I have such a reaction to this movie because I know there's no way my parents had this experience. They've been together since they were 14. And maybe my dad like partied a little bit, but I, my mom was not. Um, but do I have this experience because this was a school in Southern California and I'm from Massachusetts, which is so, you know, we're like quote unquote liberal, but so puritanical in its nature, right? Like the snobbery of us from Massachusetts runs deep and you don't really realize it until you leave it or is my reaction a pendulum swing because this was like the behavior of the generation before me and then we as the children of that generation take it so opposite but either way I was like I was sitting until I did research about the writing of this movie I was sitting hard body like why did I have to watch this movie so what do you think well <laughs> Couple things. So you mentioned female director. I just want to clarify. It's Amy Heckerling, who is the yeah. director of Clueless. Right. So, which is the best movie ever. I feel really strongly about that. But, okay. So, not to get super political, but watching this again, I couldn't help but think, this was there Brett Kavanaugh grew up in. Like that is the era that a lot of our like political leaders, a lot of our leaders kind of experienced because right. it's like people who like Jennifer Jason Lee's character, I think I did the math, would have been like, she'd be like 55 right now, which means that the other people featured like in the film. So the film is like set like four years apart, but I think that's like a huge, I think there is a big disconnect. Cause I think a lot of things happened so quickly back then mm -hmm. that like, I think there's a split when fast times came out that it's like 55. And then maybe as maybe the youngest folks featured like as a primary character, and then like what 55 to 60 ish is how old they would be now um so there are a lot of them are at that age where they're in like executive positions so i thought of that re-watching it um and i thought oh this so like you know it'll come out that i study like equity and stuff so i was like oh this is the context for when they say things are like too politically correct or woke or whatever like this is this is where they're coming from but i think there's a divide in that time period where that's where the like gen xers started to break off from boomer culture and so i think somewhere in that time when cameron crow would have been there in the 70s that would have been what the last of the boomers and maybe the beginning of the gen xers so mm -hmm. you know maybe it captures that and maybe i wonder how different the the book is from the um the movie but in general i think maybe i mean it depends on where in california this is but you know, um, 
a movie that recently came out licorice pizza kind of had the same premise like where it like captured what the 70s were like in um california and essentially i don't like that movie either but it's way too recent i'm like how the fuck was this even released but um but like basically i think i get the impression that california was kind of a hotbed of culture so maybe some things that were culturally happening like in the midwest later or on different coasts the east coast later like started in california so maybe he got the front lines of some stuff anyway yeah I mean, we still certainly see like in a kind of a legal context we see that any kind of law and i'm going to use the word moving forward but any kind of law that's more forward thinking now i don't want to say like like what progressive supposed to be, right? It usually yeah. starts in either California or up in Massachusetts. I think just with things, particularly like the sex basis of this is just a little more, I'm not saying people aren't having sex as teenagers in Massachusetts. I just like the, the, the some of the stuff. And this, you know, I have to say, background, I investigated sexual assault complaints. So when a 26 year old says to a 15 year old, like the opening scene is of this movie, yeah. six year old says to a 15 year old, you look like you could still be in high school. And she says, he no, like, he likes that. <laughs> like, like, that's her. like he know, says I, it like it's a like, oh, like you're still young, you know, like you got your yeah. and he asked her like three times, are you sure you're 19? Which puts the onus on her that he's being and for context this is this is jennifer jason lee's 15 year old character on a date with a 26 year old but she lies and says she's 19. yeah so in the beginning of the movie the first scene is that this cute guy walks into the pizza place in the mall my first lines of my critique of this movie were how come it's called fast times at ridgemont high when everything happens at the mall that's confusing <laughs> but um the so this guy walks in all the waitresses are talking about how hot he is one of the waitresses says i'm gonna go change the salt and pepper shaker so i can get a better look and phoebe kate's character linda says don't it's stacy's section and that waitress says she's not even in high school yet because this is before high school started so then jennifer jason lee's character Stacy does not want to go over there and she tries to give the table to Linda and Linda says just go and make sure you laugh at everything he says and then he she goes over he tells some lame joke and she kind of laughs and he says you look like you're still in high school she says no I'm 19 (laughs) and like but it made me think because I had a friend in college who looked very young very young and i would always say i don't trust a dude that goes after her because even though she is not young if she looks super young and you are super and she bagged dudes like she got a lot of dude attention and like she wasn't the most attractive girl even looking young but she just looked 12. and i was her youthful appearance was a draw uh, yeah, and it really freaked me out. So she's like, oh, you want to be my new boyfriend? Not really. <laughs> like, I feel like that guy's a pedo and you're just an ex- yeah. like a, and, and it sucks for a person who looks that young, but like the, the draw of her looking so young. Bleh. So that was the opening. And that's when I started angry texting Diane. <laughs> <laughs>
So it starts with statutory rape and it gets progressively worse from there. And now it's like a highlight of it, right? No. Well, one thing, so a couple of things. Because I think the, the crux of this, why a concept like this works is that I, I'm not going to convince experiences or, um, you know, just hold the on. Way I, I missed you because you froze. You're not going to convince you just suddenly were drinking water and you had you didn't have that water <laughs> before. <laughs> You're not going to convince me. what? So I, I think the premise is to show I'm not going to sit here and convince you why you should like the movie or something <laughs> or the podcast or whatever. I'm not going to. I I'm will not next gonna, week if you don't like, like it. We're, we're not going to come out of this where I'm like, you're like, yes, you've convinced me. But I think it, it shows how our different experiences or um, like shape our perspective and how that perspective comes into the way we consume media. So um like so then i think about where was i at when i watched it uh for the first time and then why do i think it holds up in comparison right because when did i watch it i watched it in like 1997 or 98 somewhere in there and i was 12 yeah like 12 watching it i would have been her age (laughs) and the context of when i was watching it uh i was at i was sleeping over at a cousin's house and my cousin fallen asleep and um i think it came on the tv either that or they had it on vhs but so i'm at a very impressionable age and that may have been one of the first times i see sex in a film uh it's they're the cool high schoolers who I can't wait to be like soon. You know, I want, I was in a hurry to grow up. So I'm watching at a time where I was very impressionable, just like Jennifer Jason Lee's character, you know? So I think it, you know, a lot of people, you know, on shows like I Love the 80s, talk about this movie and how it like it was one of those like sexual awakening movies right because um there's a lot of different sex scenes in it but i think why i think it holds up but now you're adding an additional layer to it but i thought i think it holds up because there's a few other things in the film that i think hold up especially in today's day and age but I think with Jennifer Jason Lee's character in particular, um, she may have been one of the first times, like a sexually, between her and Phoebe Cates, like sexually empowered, as sexually empowered as you can be at that age, right? But when I'm younger and I'm watching them, I'm like, yeah, those are empowered, I probably thought they were women because they felt so old to me, right? Well, but, in, the, in real life they were and, and like and i think the film then pokes fun at that like mm-hmm. i think it kind of makes fun of how phoebe cates thinks she's grown in yeah. some ways so i think there's like a self-awareness watching it again where i'm like oh yeah like they're that's a dipshit that's a dipshit you know but um but they did it for the most part they did rule whether 
not the outcomes of the situation, but they did feel empowered at the beginning of them, for sure. You know, like, yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee's like- If you uh, don't give it a second glance, like if you don't think about co the coercion or <laughs> the peer pressure, like I appreciate, I will say in this film, so the outcome of that date, right, is she loses her virginity. Yeah. I like the outcome that she just loses her virginity to, to a random dude. Like there's, you know, I mean, I know this movie came out after this, but 16 Candles is all about Molly Ringwald's virginity, right? And like in Fast Times, it was just, she just fucking knocked it out, right? And she's just yeah. like- Yeah, and Phoebe Kate's character is like, I was 13, who cares? It's just sex. Right. And I, like, I wish you had a condom stuck, but I'm 41 watching it for the first time, so. so. But it like challenges that like, I mean, now we're having conversations that, maybe young girls shouldn't be having sex at that age or anybody because they should take some time to get to know themselves, love themselves, whatever. Um, but I mean, at that point, there was a, probably a lot of slut shaming happening, right? So this featured it in a more normalized way, I'm guessing than it was ever featured on TV. And you know, to say that I think is a really good point about this because the person who got shamed for the sex act was Mike. Like they wrote Little Prick after he had sex with Jennifer Jason Lee's character um, in the shed, which I would actually call the moment that I hated the most about this movie was that like poolside shed thing because she said, stop, stop. What are you doing? Stop. No, no, no. And then he's like finished. And you were like, I hate you. <laughs> and then he became a dick after. That's the thing with that character. I really didn't like the character of Mike. I felt like there were some spaces they could have made him grow a little bit. And they well, did and in real life. Well, and for context, Mike's character is the friend of the geeky dude who is pursuing her character. Right, right, right. So, you know, speaking of like incels, like that's how, like, so basically she, Jennifer Jason Lee was being pursued by the nice guy. He took her out to dinner, right? And kissed her on the cheek or something. But then she ends up fucking his best friend, right. who is this cool dude. So they're like, a, you know, opposites attract kind of thing where it's like the nerdy dude and then the like cool dude. But the cool dude comes from like a broken home, I think. And we mentioned he's a ticket scalper. Like that's how he makes his money. So he's seen as unsavory. Um, everyone else is working like, you know, earning an honest living, but he's the ticket scalper. Um, but now that you mentioned that Cameron Crowe modeled himself after that 26 year old in the beginning. No, no, no. I was saying he oh. did. He said he was not the 26 year old. Sure. Well, I hope Allegedly. <laughs> well, he didn't even say that. He just said, I did not mess around with these girls because I was told I couldn't from my big home. wink. Yeah. As he's like, he's like, I didn't for legal reasons. I am, I have to say this, but one feature that is like kind of funny is they show Jennifer, Jason Lee have sex with both these dudes, but they have uh, somebody's baby, but I think it's Jackson Brown playing. And yeah. during the, her time with the 26 year old, the song plays for a long time. And then with, the like 17 year old or however mike's character it like 
it ends immediately. So I think there's these like little right? she lies to Phoebe Cates about how long Mike lasted. And she's like, like 20 minutes. And then he's but like, oh, that's like long so self-aware of how ridiculous they all are, right? And so like re-watching, I was like, oh my God. Cause I can see myself and I can see myself on those right. girls, you know. Right. Uh, in the early 2000s i could and i you know it's chicken or egg like was i how much was i influenced by that film but um okay this is what i want to talk about i want to talk about your favorite moments the cringiest moments and your least favorite moments i've already told you my least favorite okay well hands down the cringiest moment is the moment that everyone remembers from the film which is when phoebe kate shows her tits i literally moved my eyes i averted my eyes because i was like she's just a baby there and like i think i even i googled how old she was and i think she was like 20 or something i guess 18. she was of age but like but like just enough and i was like i and it's it's not I don't know I just felt really strange knowing that an 18 year old was expected to just show her tits I I have to say I didn't realize that was just a fantasy part of the movie I didn't realize that was like what was happening in Brad the character Brad's head yeah because that's the only part I've ever seen is her coming out of the water and flashes right that's the only thing that I've ever seen before so it's iconic like this movie is in the Library of Congress. No, it is. It's, it's I believe in 2005. You. It was selected for preservation in the National Film Film Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Oh well, I think the aesthetics were 90% Phoebe Casey. <laughs> but um, I would say that for cringiest for me, I have a tie. Okay. Now I prepared mine. You didn't prepare yours, so I appreciate that you were able to come. I already to have. I got this queued up. <laughs> <laughs> so my minor tie, and one of them is for very practical purposes. But so one in the opening, the first sex scene with Jennifer Jason Lee and the twenty-six-year-old, when he kept doing that big back arch, like <laughs> so they're they're in this grimy, like they're in the place called the Point. They find this grimy shed that has this grimy mattress. She's looking at graffiti on the ceiling. And he's doing this swoop up with his body to do like essentially an upward dog in yoga and like looking up to the sky and yelling like, what the fuck is that? If someone did that on top of me, I would lose my mind. So that was cringy moment. I couldn't get past number one. But cringy moment number two is just very practical. They go and have this huge, so they being uh, Stacy and Rat go out and have this huge German meal. And then she tries to have sex with him after. Like, even as a 15 year old, your body can't handle the combination. And I was like, this is gross. I'm so glad he said no. Like they just ate so much food. <laughs> they probably both had like meat sweats, yeah, like sausage so and cabbage. Oh my God, I can't even, I can't even function. Like, I just thought it, I thought it was hilarious that like, they were all going on dates that people celebrating like a 50 year anniversary would go on like this and they were so down german restaurant scared. he wore a bow tie like he was wearing a fucking bow tie like they why were, so were they acting like little adults at 15 years old and, then, and he was like those big chairs they were so tiny and he was 
what is happening right now? They look little. And obviously the director decided they needed to look little in this scene to like make everything really awkward and, and age appropriate. Like I thought that was the most age appropriate scene that we watched, right? But um and and nothing against like the nerd. Both Diane and I are married to huge nerds, so it's not like we're anti them. It's just it's just like the moment they like both have careers that like like it's not like we're just like oh like he's a nerd like I would say they both work in careers that certify them. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. Nerds. actual nerds, PhDs <laughs> in engineers, like yeah. like, like actual but, like you gotta be pretty nerdy to get through through those. <laughs> yes, yes. But the the but I just couldn't get over. It. I'm like, y'all, you I like they pan to how much food y'all ate. Like this is gross. Okay, so that was my cringy. So what were the other ones? Hated best? and favorite. Hated. Um well I hate so you seem to um think that Mike kind of I don't know if you think this but Mike seems he he kind of shifted from being like a solid dude to being like a shitty dude right so I hated the arc where so this, there's an arc where um because these both tie together so I'll say my best so they both center around Jennifer I have a feeling our best me. moment is going to be the best part <laughs> we're both going to have the best so, <laughs> yeah maybe it's so Jennifer Jason Lee uh gets pregnant by Mike um and that's like kind of the climax of the the film and there's like some side stories like we didn't even talk about Sean Penn's character which is like just phenomenal acting um he looks so sad like why was the high guy so sad looking the whole time because his eyes are just watery all the time all the time <laughs> he's just he's so good in it because he's he's playing like a stoner but when you're re-watching it like knowing the acting prowess of sean penn you're like oh holy shit, that's sean penn like that's yeah. That's, like that's him acting. That's not who he is. Like, whereas back then, I think a lot of people conflated like, oh, that's just some random dude. But there was a lot of acting. Anyway, sidebar. So Jennifer Jason Lee in the climax gets pregnant, goes to Mike, asks Mike to help her with the abortion to fund it. There was never a discussion, which is part of my favorite part. There was never a discussion of no keep it or oh you're a bad person it was so normalized that she, she was like i'm gonna get an abortion and he's like all right yeah that's fair i'll pay half like does that sound fair well, it's like she asked him to pay half don't give him credit yeah, exactly so it's a business negotiation right so that's part of my favorite part of it but then the shitty part is he so he offered or she asked him she negotiated pay for half give me a ride he does neither and that fucking sucks but what also sucks is seeing it so like back then i was like fuck mike like this piece of shit but he did actually try like rewatching it there are scenes of him trying to get money back but he was so ashamed that he just ditched her instead and that that was harsh because Mike was a pretty likable dude. Like he was a solid friend and he was getting everyone concert tickets. Seemed cool. I thought personally that he was cute. I Googled him now. He's not so cute anymore, but Aww. I thought he was super cute. Was cute. But he my favorite part is 
fucking Judge Reinhold's character coming in, saving the fucking day, noticing. So he gives Jennifer Jason Lee's character a ride. And I think she pretended she was like going to the movies or something, rolling yeah. rings, I can't remember. And he sees her walk across the street to the abortion clinic instead. And when she's done, she comes down and he's been waiting for her. And then I think he like takes her to get food or something. And yeah. like, that's just it. Like just that's fucking solid white guy allyship. And, and like, just such a sweet, like brother moment because you know a lot of he could you know he started he said he picked her up and he's like well who did this to you and she's like i don't want to talk about it and he's like okay and he said okay and jesus right. Christ, if that could be like that's a master class on how to handle things like that's that was the redeeming moment of the movie for me is that when she goes to have an abortion he's like cool i won't tell mom and dad let me go buy you dinner and that was the end of it. And like, Allyship. yeah, Jesus, what a night like that. That was the moment where I was like, okay, I can that's a it. really good point. The way he handled those boundaries. Right. Because so many people like, I'm going to fuck him up. Who did no, this? And then make it about no one defiles my sister. Like the, like virginity politics or sex politics behind it. But it was just, he's like, he has his feelings. She says, fuck off with those and he's like all right and that's yeah. like and i so i think in today's society the way that abortion was covered the way I'm it was abortion today. yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> like this is how i celebrate the fourth of july fuck the fourth of july thank, so thank you fast times for you know featuring <laughs> it but i think the the way that was so that was handled it was just normalized and i think that was probably the crux of why i was like yup it still holds up but i'm also watching it right thinking this is a beloved film of mine so i'm gonna do like confirmation bias where i'm gonna watch it and go all right yeah that's a good part i'm gonna overemphasize the abortion i guess yeah the way the abortion was handled and then underemphasize the statutory rape <laughs> so. And I would say that my second favorite part of the movie, so that was by far my favorite. My second favorite part of the movie is when Mr. Hand shows up to Spicoli's house yes. <laughs> and, ha and makes him go through, like, I mean, he takes this stoner in his class that he has, I think the stoner has out loud disrespected him in the class, but he has been super disrespectful to this kid, but it showed that he really cared about the like, movement forward sure. of this very lovable character, which now I didn't really pay attention to who I didn't look into the director because they talk a lot about it being um, Cameron's film because he wrote it and just happens to be uh, Huck's direction. But um, I think one of the things that now when we think about Clueless and we think about Travis and Clueless, he has a direct correlation. Oh my gosh. Right? yes it's now, so it's not a fully fleshed out thought but it's probably something that people know about that i'm just gonna i i never knew any of this and it's interesting oh my gosh see now we're gonna have to go there is a podcast out that does that already that compares movies but i'm just thinking about like how this director handles content right because then by the time the 90s came along 
inclusive they have a virgin one of the characters is a virgin and but like she's the knowledgeable one yeah she's the knowledgeable yeah. one but then eventually like they do cover that she feels weird about being the only virgin eventually i mean this director also did look who's talking which i mean just phenomenal could it get better could it get Oh my just, that's how I, I learned about how babies are made through little it is stuff. interesting because i do think and i wonder like you know how i said earlier is this just a pendulum shift that we're in now because a lot of the way like 80s movies handled abortion was so much more normalized like i learned about abortion from dirty dancing right like that's yeah not, yeah that's, that's another one right obviously it went bad but no one said she was bad. That they, one was more shameful, I would say, kind of, right? I don't think like, they were more hidden time. about it. Like they're more clandestine. Well, I guess yeah. they're all clandestine about it. Yeah. I, mean, I think in Dirty Dancing, it wasn't that she was the bad one. It's that she only had the option to go to this bad doctor who really And she her needed up. the access. So it was it was more about the situation where she didn't have access that was more of the issue, not the issue that she was desiring that procedure. Right. Right. And I think like nowadays we talk about that, you know, and and too, you know, you said not to get too political earlier, but fuck it, we're women in 2023. <laughs> we have to be political. They're making decisions we're about both us all the work time. and study in government. Right. So, we're, we're both <laughs> so it's in, kind of like part of our identities. <laughs> but in that, you know, I think a lot of this idea that this that the, this country was at, at least in pop culture this country was at a place where we weren't shaming people for the act of an abortion which you know i would always argue is just a normal part of basic health care and that no one's pro no one's like yeah i can't wait to get an abortion it's painful it doesn't feel good it's like it's not a good experience for anyone it's not like anyone's running out to get them on purpose it's just a need, right? Just like a cast is uncomfortable, that is uncomfortable, but you do it because you need to do it sometimes. And where I wonder, and I'm sure that there's been plenty of things written on this, and I will refer to my PhD candidate student <laughs> colleague here to, to answer that question, but to have the, you know, the idea that it was kind of normalized and have we bounced back why have we bounced back, especially since if this was the normalized culture of our current politicians, I wonder how many of them genuinely, I know it's been, <laughs> but like they know a friend who had one a hundred times because they could, you know, and it's just bananas. Well, I don't know too many answers related to that. Um, but what I would say a few things. So you mentioned that your, your parents grew up somewhere that was totally different from the way California was. And we're talking about two coasts at that point, right? So yeah. your parents were, were your parents in Massachusetts? They were in Massachusetts, but they both come from Irish Catholic background. So you mentioned like policy wise though, that those are the more progressive. So imagine what, so let's see, at that point, my mom was in Oklahoma and my mom, 1979 my mom was 23 and my mother had two children at that point by two different men and so like i don't think she'll ever listen to this but like that's kind of a problem right and she was married at 19 and divorced by like 21 or something so that says a lot i think about the society and so um 
like so when you think about the same time abortions were normalized in this film and that's reflected in the film how many other people's realities were something very different from that like essentially you know teenage motherhood um like my mom like she my mom was doing things and people of her generation especially in the middle of america um they were doing things like that were culturally what you should do you should get married you should have sex and have kids and blah blah, blah and do that all early so it's not like an uncommon thing so mm-hmm. it just kind of makes me think of like how maybe this just represents California at that time instead of representing the rest of the world or the country. So related to that, people like Brett Kavanaugh um, may have experienced this normalization, right? At the same time, so many people didn't. And then a lot of people who didn't vote in ways that <laughs> that sig- signal that they didn't grow up with those things being normalized right and yeah and i can't speak for all of messages like i just know how my mom was and and it's always kind of and that's why i brought up the pendulum swing right like my mom is so different than our mom and i am so different than my mom and there's a lot of things we're alike we have a similar temper we certainly look alike but I think our values start to like shift opposite sometimes and not my values, but like generationally the values change based on what we had before. So like one of the things I think in current culture that is so interesting is with this like kind of mega population, they hate like that, like little boys are wimpy, but little boys are allowed to express feelings now because they weren't allowed to when their parents were kids, they saw it as an issue, right? So like the older millennials saw it as an issue (laughs) that like boys had to do this hyper-masculine bullshit. They teach their kids to be more sensitive and now the sensitivity is a problem. You know what I mean? So I think that sometimes we like go really massive shifts in what's societally acceptable. And like, I don't know enough about the history of abortion outside of like the legal way it works through the system, but the I do think I do I do love that part of this movie enough to make it so I don't hate this movie (laughs) (laughs) well and I I would agree and I think just I was having a conversation the other day with somebody about this um related to equity work Mm -hmm. so post 2020 post George Floyd's murder in 2020 there was a huge upswing in diversity work different positions being carved out, um, different initiatives. There's different policies that have come out at different levels of government related to promoting like diversity, equity, inclusion. And so now three years later, we're already swinging back away from that. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of movement and then reaction to that movement. So there is, I think, just politically a lot of tension um, that does happen and so like what we call woke now to disparage in the 90s and 2000s was known as like politically correct oh it's politically correct to say this so it's just it's the same sentiments i think being repeated through um different 
eras. But I mean, I'm not really optimistic. I don't, I hope the pendulum will swing back, <laughs> but you know, we're coming off uh, the, you know, just three days ago, Supreme Court ruled it's okay to discriminate against um, LGBT. I, I think it's really plus. important if anyone has listened this far in, then they know that we're like the people people complain about when they talk about wokeness, right? Like, but I, I think uh, one of the things for that, and this is not anything to do with the movie, so I'm just ranting, so I apologize. Edit this out if you needed to. But we talk a lot about kind of where we have spheres of influence and we do have some, at least in our immediate circles, we have spheres of influence, but one of the ways is the Supreme Court has said money is speech. And people need to stop being so slack about paying attention to where they spend their money. So if I find out that an organization's website was made by 303 Creative LLC, I'm never using that fucking company again. Just like I think that people who, who believe in gay rights and believe women should have access to birth control, shouldn't eat Chick-fil-A. I don't give a fuck if you think it's good. And like, you know, like there's spaces, Walmart's a tough one, right? That's where we get the cheap stuff. It's an, it's certainly like a point of privilege to be able to spend your money freely. But for these extra things, like going out and eating at certain restaurants, when you know the person's bad, and I'm gonna say that, I think that they're bad, that, that woman, that Linda, whatever fuck her last name is, the lady who who inspired this whole I don't want to make gay marriage websites that has just become a a total obliteration of LGBTQ plus rights. She like no one should pay for her services anymore. Let her 20% of the population that believe her bullshit, because that's what the number is, like 20 to 30%. Right. The rest of us need to start paying attention. And if her name's on a fucking website, boycott, boycott that, right? We do have a sphere of influence and we have to start using Jesus, the apathy that led us to here. Okay, this has nothing to do with the movie. Let's go. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, money money talks, right? And so money- That's what money, was about. That, and I would even go as far as just bring it back to the topic here. So when there's, <laughs> like when there's media, well, when there's media, right? Like if we're watching netflix or paramount plus or wherever the fuck i have like a dozen different platforms what you watch helps determine what those streaming platforms keep like so for instance um there was a retelling of greece that just came out i think on paramount plus and um it it's about the pink ladies and the pink ladies um it is like it I haven't seen it, but the way I understand it, it shifted to like basically non-white pink ladies. And I'm sure there's some queer stuff in there, not sure, but it's essentially a retelling that brings in new stories. And so due to the low viewership, that show's gonna get pulled from the platform. So when it comes to the media we consume, so um when fast times at ridgemont high came out like say it earned like 10 times more than it made 10 times more than it cost in the first like two months the budget was five million and it made back 50 million so when that much money (laughs) is being spent on watching that movie then that signals to execs right like oh we like these stories 
So when we when we hear about stories that are maybe problematic, <laughs> you know, maybe we just also don't consume those pieces of media. But when we see things that maybe uplift stories that we we aren't aware of, maybe we could watch those, give them some viewership to help those creators. So right, right, and then we just gotta make sure when people watch the movie for Phoebe Kate's boobs. They also pay attention to the abortion storyline. Exactly. <laughs> I have one more thing in my notes, and that is one of the biggest criticisms of this movie is that there's no plot line. And that was actually part of the thing that I liked the best because our lives don't have plot lines. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that made it the most real. It's like random. Yeah. Don't that's what I love about it. Yeah. Who would have? It- and- and some movies I don't like it. What's the movie with all right, all right, all right? What's that movie? Oh, um, Dazed and Confused. I saw that movie like 47 times. And the reason I saw it so many times is because I was convinced I was missing something. Oh. Like, I was convinced that I didn't catch a it's big plot. Same kind of style, right? Right. But this one was more palatable to me than Dazed and Confused, where I'm still very confused if I actually watched the whole movie. And it's entirely because I was like, this is dumb the whole time. I didn't get into drugs until later in my life. So maybe it'll change. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it is. It's kind of like the time that I didn't get why people were in into the band Fish. And then I listened to them after I started smoking weed freshman year of college. And I was like, oh, I get it now. So it might be something like that. But but yeah, and that's I think that's why I like it, because it is just a a snapshot of what life was like. And I like to think of it as the early 80s because it's probably from like 81 ish. So. I like to think this is what life was like back then. Isn't that wild? <laughs> and then just kind of view it and that obviously way. generations will think that for the in perpetuity because it's in the Library of Congress. Yeah, exactly. And because it has it has aesthetic, cultural and historical significance. So um, so yeah, so that's why I like it. And that's the whole point of this um, podcast is to discuss you know what does what did that say about the times and what is what do we think now in our current times cool do you have an outro (laughs) i don't accept that next time i'm making you watch the witches of eastwick which is eastwick it's really important to understand that i watched this movie as a child and i don't now that i watch it as an adult i was like how are you allowed to i wasn't allowed to watch mtv because madonna kissed black jesus but I was allowed to watch The Witches of Eastwick, which seems like a mixing of messages. So that's where I'm going to leave us with that one. So it's a preemptive um, defense, which I appreciate. Um, I I am biased towards, I do like watching like Jack Nicholson films. Um, and I did see he's in it. So I'm looking for, and I think that's why it came up once because I was talking about how I was on a Jack Nicholson marathon. And so all right well i can't wait to uh critique that but uh yeah thank you and thanks anyone who made it this far listening or watching or whatever so all right thank you everybody all right thanks bye